I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And it's time for episode number 300 video games, hot dog. <laughs> the one where, once again, I forgot to look up what number it is. It's definitely an integer. That's <laughs> true. Uh, it's definitely more than a 7-bit signed integer. Right. 7-bit unsigned? 255 is 7-bit. That's 8-bit uh, unsigned. Unsigned. That's 8-bit unsigned. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's higher than that, for sure. I think we're not at 400 yet. <laughs> okay. How you doing, Kevin? I'm okay. Glad, glad to know things haven't changed back in the States. <laughs> Binary still works. Yeah, we switched to uh, we switched to dead daylight integer capacity time. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're considering they're considering uh, giving it up for good. You know, they just they want uh, rural farmers to get more more bits. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, I have decided how's, that this, uh, trip, how's this trip is too long. This trip is too long. <laughs> Come on. I mean, that's been clear to me from the moment you left, Kevin. I, I miss you. Um, yeah, it's, it's so like... You're less than halfway done with the trip, right? Like, no, I'm over, over halfway to go. done. I'm over halfway done. How, over halfway done? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll right. be yeah, back. He's back in like two weeks. two weeks. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, I just realized that I uh, but there, you won't have any stories to tell because you're going to tell them all right now. Uh, yeah. So every every power switch in... Australia, New Zealand, like every, uh, sorry, every outlet has its own little switch next to it, which I, I don't exactly understand the utility of that. Like, is that, I guess that's so that you can turn off chargers so that they're not theoretically wasting the trickle of electricity that they do when you leave them plugged in. Uh, isn't it just inherently like better than not having the option of doing that? I guess, I guess it's, I guess you're right that like having the option is always superior, but then you're, you're constantly well, plugging stuff in and then, then is surprised then like, that it's not working because you yeah. forgot to turn this yeah, outlet the on. The, the downside is that it might malfunction, like additional, additional options means additional complexity, which means some more stuff to break. An additional right. point of failure. And I think though that if it was your house, you would stop having that problem. Because you'd be right. used to it until you had kids that started tampering with your electrical outlets. Right. Well, that's the other thing, right? Like, like none there of are this no kid friendly. Kids would constantly be turning off Though, um, like those... all your stereo equipment and uh, your sous vide. I'm trying to think of other stuff that you might leave on. <laughs> Alarm I had clocks. a friend in high school that couldn't convince his sister to not play music early in the morning, so he installed a switch on his side of the wall that controlled her socket. Oh, that's clever. Huh. That's pretty enterprising. Yeah. He's, he's a very enterprising kid, yeah. Did he did he install it correctly? I mean, did he put in a box for the switch plate and stuff? I or never was actually it, saw it. it. I don't just, know. I mean, if it he was like been... he just it punched a hole in the wall with a hammer and then like <laughs> cut through one of the two leads and <laughs> the switch was just whether they were twisted together or not. Yeah, he might have been that. taking his life into his own hands every time. Mm. You wouldn't want to do that sleepy. And the whole point of this switch is something that you should be able to operate when you are trying to sleep. Right. Yeah. He was also uh, the kind of person who would decide that ethically or morally the world should work a certain way and then act as if it did. So, And as though he had the authority to make it work well, that no, way. Well, no, like just by, by, by him acting as if it did, then it would. And so... Um, it would be wrong for the world to electrocute a child for trying to turn off the music <laughs> on the other side of the wall. I guess that's true. So it would just never wow. happen. And it never did. Where? Yeah, where'd that kid end up? And that kid is Steve Jobs. Uh, 
<laughs> I, I at that point it's it's getting uh it moving towards doxing and I'd rather not. Okay. Um Kevin, how's how's your trip? Uh, it's been it's 2 good. weeks. It's been more than 2 weeks. It's been cuz I was not on the last show and then we also took a break for GDC, right? So Oh shit, it's been 3 weeks. Yeah. Uh so what I've, have you done I've, in those last 3 weeks? You you've been in New Zealand and Tasmania. Exactly. Yeah. I, I went to Tasmania and hung out in mostly in Hobart and the surrounds. Uh, I climbed uh, Mount Wellington, uh, which is like a, a mountain just outside of Hobart. And now I'm in Wellington, New Zealand. I think, it's, I think Mount there Wellington is, a, is not in Wellington. Say what? They're both named after the same guy. Okay, I'm guessing, right. I'm guessing they're named after the same person. Yes. That makes sense. Um, They're named after Graham Wellington, the white guy on that PSA about uh, housing uh, discrimination. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the guy that invented uh, beef Wellington? Sure. Yeah, um, that's just that's what his uh, college roommates uh, nicknamed him because he wouldn't stop <laughs> farting. <laughs> I got to see uh, I got to see Hobbiton uh, and have a drink at the yeah. Green, How was that? What, what is that? What is that like to go there? Uh, so it, there are always just a bunch of tourists there. So it's it would have been awesome to just hang out uh, wandering around with nobody else there and like get to like look at all the hobbit holes uh, by yourself. But you're sort of corralled into these. All the tourists were really short. Uh, yeah. Or what if you put on stilts so that relative to you, all of the tourists were oh, really yeah. short? And like, so that way you get to wear like a wizard hat. That would actually be really funny if you came on with, came in with stilts and a wizard hat to give everyone the appearance that. That's a really good idea. That is a really good idea, actually. Um, so it's, it is like you are in the Shire. It, the, the landscape around there is just absolutely beautiful. New Zealand is incredibly gorgeous. Like, Everywhere I have gone, yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. Uh, I haven't even been to the South Island yet, and like I've heard that that's actually more beautiful than the North Island. And I'm I'm kind of awestruck by just how pretty the, the North Island has been. So I'm I'm kind of uh, setting myself up for disappointment, I guess, uh, by by having <laughs> a bunch of anticipations about how pretty the South Island is. Um, I remember the first time when I went to Switzerland with you, it was like, this is so beautiful that it seems like a trick, right? <laughs> like it can't, it can't be real, right? This is just like, oh, I don't think, I don't think our plane made it. And this is just my incident at Owl Creek imagining this fairy tale wonderland. Also, we took a train. Uh, so that would have been real weird. Uh, like, why did I bother wasting like half my Owl Creek incident on this boring train ride? Uh, or it could have been that like the the natives wanted to th make you think it was beautiful, so they made some mountain facades mm. and put them right oh, next right. to your car window. I thought you were going to say they like dosed me with ergot or something. Oh, sure, <laughs> but um, that's that's <laughs> way mean, too both expensive. Both these things can be true. Um, <laughs> they probably would accentuate but, but it's, the other. It's like. New Zealand is like that, except that instead of, you know, the, instead of your beautiful snow-capped mountain descending into a beautiful forested hills with a picturesque village in the bottom of it, there's just no one there. It's just like a pile of pine cones <laughs> instead of a village. Uh, I haven't, I haven't actually gotten to that part of it yet. It's, uh, it's been pretty popular. The, the North Island, I think, is more populous and there are lots of uh, little villages here and there. Um, but I think the South Island has, has less people in it uh or there's like less, there are fewer larger cities at least because i think auckland and wellington are the two big ones on the north island maybe um yeah 
uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to climbing some mountains in the South. I, um, I was, I wanted to do like a big 20 kilometer long hike, uh, here, but the weather just was not good. So I could not actually, uh, complete it, which is kind of, kind of blue. Um, so we'll have to come back at some point and, and, uh, and do a, an awesome, like it's like rated one of like the best one day hikes, uh, in the world. So hmm. we'll have to do that. Probably- yeah. I definitely want to go back there with you and do a bunch of the stuff that Damien did not want to do when, when we were there because it was too dangerous. Oh yeah. Or we didn't have the right equipment. Like, yeah. like what? There's a cave that oh. you can hike through and it's like a mile and there's a pretty dangerous river running through it the entire time. And you kind of have to have like a wetsuit. Um, okay. So you can stay wet while you die. Well, so that you don't freeze to death. Okay. The, while you die. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, are, are you um, in the river the whole time while you're. You're you're in the river a lot of the time. Mostly, it's just some very like what to us would be extremely easy climbing. I see, but you're but wet. just going through a cave. I mean, you you yeah and you have to be you have to be wet for a lot of it. That's interesting. Yeah, extremely easy climbing turns out to be actually kind of hard when you're wet. Well, yeah. yeah. Also, when you're in a cave, but and people, there were a lot of people. There were a attacking. lot of people doing it that were less capable than us but just more prepared because they read about needing wetsuits or maybe they were just wearing wet pants <laughs> <laughs> it says it's chest high but then i was like well who's chest you know <laughs> yeah, got, chest? Uh, they, they it has to be um conservative because they have to assume like the shortest possible person might be reading that text <laughs> that's true there's hmm yeah they, I guess they assume if you're short enough that it's above your chest, you're probably riding on someone's shoulders. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Do you need a wet trench coat in that case? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why does it have to be? Why do you have to go into the cave in formal wear? Yeah. It's um, a wet tuxedo, a wet cummerbund. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> So how, uh, you how went to the Museum of Old and New Art. Oh, also? yeah. That was super rad. That is a place that everyone should have the chance to go to. And apparently they had installed a bunch of stuff that you hadn't seen or maybe even like a new wing since your visit. Because um, there's a bunch of uh, James Terrell art there when I went um, with just some kind of really impressive. Did you get to meet Bubsy? I, I didn't. Um, he, he wasn't there at the time I was there. Uh, but there were some just really cool experiences. There was one that I didn't realize that you had to book super far in advance, um, that I didn't get to see. Um, but I got sort of a taste of it at a different one. There's like a, a sphere that you go into and you lay on your back and you get like 15 minutes of just these sort of rapidly oscillating, uh, sort of colored lights. And all that's happening is the lights are changing faster than your sort of visual cortex can, can handle. But what that, your brain just starts flipping out and starts seeing all kinds of crazy um, things. So I got like a 30 second version of that in a different sort of uh, different um, piece that he had made. And like, I was seeing all of these weird abstract geometric forms. Uh, It looks, it looked a lot like uh, looking through a kaleidoscope kind of, but there was, it was just a blank white wall with, with color being projected on it. Um, Super, super basically LSD. I guess I, maybe, I don't know. It was super cool. Uh, 
and then after that then they then they sort of let you sit in darkness for about 15 minutes and sort of the the after images linger and then it sort of slowly winds down and I, so like that sounds like a really cool thing but it's limited to two people at a time and it takes half an hour so it's very mm-hmm. like the slots are, are fill up very quickly um but that sounds super interesting but that seems like a thing that i would need some like I would need a couple of drinks before I Luckily, was able to sit still for that. It's for a museum that, that has a bunch yeah. of bars in it. Holy cow. It's so good. Like that's every museum should just have like two or three bars at every, at every level so you can get a drink uh, and wander around. All the at that point you wouldn't, themed. they wouldn't really need to charge admission. Right. Exactly. Um, no, the, the drinks were just regular drinks. They weren't, they weren't like <sighs> weird, uh, Art <laughs> there weren't art drinks. drinks or drinks drinks made out of the uh, the cast-offs from that machine that turns food into turds. Oh, <laughs> I guess from a budgetary standpoint, it Jeez. might be a wash because then they would need to hire additional security. <laughs> true, that's true. Um, yeah, no, the the Museum of Old New Art is fantastic. Definitely worth spending at least at least a full day there. Um. Yeah, this the trip has been really great. It's I, I feel like I've had better experiences with the stuff that people personally recommended, um, and trying to just use guidebooks has been for like because like a lot of the New Zealand stuff I didn't have anybody to like recommend specific things, and so I've just been trying to use like guidebooks and stuff that the internet recommends, and it's fine, but it just it's it becomes more much more touristy. Whereas I feel like the personal recommendations, like there was a, a road trip from Adelaide to Melbourne. They just had a bunch of like specific personal recommendations on it, and that was great. So, and those things are in the guidebooks, but it's not, you don't get sort of the same, um, like cross section, I think, of stuff. If you, uh, oh, I think I already asked you, but did you go to Umferston Sinkhole? I did go to Umferston Sinkhole. Uh, <clears throat> it's so much better than it sounds, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's, did you know, did, did you go to any of the other sinkholes in, in, um, the town that that's in that I'm forgetting the name of. No, there are a bunch of other ones too. There's like a couple other just like public parks in sinkholes there, and they're all really cool. Umberston's the biggest one, um, but yeah, I don't know. The, like, there is so much weird geography out here, and it's, it's relatively it's all relatively close together, which is interesting. I don't know if it's just because they're it's like uh, Australia is huge. But there's still a bunch of like interesting stuff all like along that Great Ocean Road area. Um, yeah, it seems weird. Like it's as though there was this there uh, millions of years of erosion made almost the entirety of Australia just sort of uninhabitable desert. But then this one little part of the South it made into a crazy sculpture. Right. Yeah, and that's where everybody wants to live too. Is just along that coast. Um, and New Zealand is much tell more that to, compact. Tell, tell that to the tell that to the Brisbaneers. Sure. <laughs> I mean the Perthers. Perthers, yeah. The Perthers are the people who don't believe that Obama was from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, New Zealand is is much much more like reasonably sized in terms of a place that you can go and visit in a couple of weeks, but it uh, it is just the number of like just interesting, beautiful locales that are within just a drive like an hour drive of each other is kind of overwhelming um it's actually kind of it's actually tricky to figure out where you want to stay just in terms of 
you could just pick a place in the middle and then drive out to all of the things, but uh, you do you want to like I don't know just figuring out the logistics for this trip have been kind of a, a nightmare uh, in terms of of like how how do you how do you maximize the ability to do stuff without having to like constantly just every night move to a new little small town or whatever. Um, yeah, because the disadvantage of having a single base of operations is that you end up like spending an hour every day driving the same stretch of road to get back to exactly yeah where you were and like yeah. So we've we've been trying to like spend like two nights in a place and then move to another a new location and and that kind of thing and that's been working pretty. Are you well. just Airbnb? Yeah, mostly um, or staying with friends. Um, so and that's that's been working out really well. Um, yeah, I don't. So we like, had GDC last week. Yeah, tell me, tell me what happened. It sounds, it sounds like people had a good time. All I did was go to dinners and then parties, and so it was a. And then during the day, I just got a huge amount of work done because uh, two of the West of Loathing crew, who are not usually in San Francisco and not usually in the same place, were here, and we were able to just do a bunch of work on the engine for the next game. Um. But yeah, lots of parties, seeing, saying hi to lots of old friends and uh, making some new friends. I didn't make as many new friends this year. Did you make any new friends this year, Jim? A couple, yeah. Uh, I, all I did was go to the lawn outside the Metreon, um, which was – so this is what I've like kind of been my GDC strategy for a while now is like, you know, I, I have been going to fewer and fewer parties – because like who has time for that kind of noise um (laughs) i do yeah a lot of people do um apparently uh and and you know screw the expo hall and the talks the talks you can watch on on like on the vault like a couple of weeks later uh and just hanging out on the lawn you know where all the cool kids are uh and the difference is that this year there was actually like official GDC presence on the lawn. What I'm told is that they've been renting out that space from the city for several years now just to like make sure some other corporate thing doesn't take it out from underneath the the GDC folks who who usually hang out there. They don't want somebody else to ruin it. They want to be the ones that ruin it. Well, well so what I'm told is that uh, the city was like, well, you're actually, are you actually going to use the space this year? Mm. Um, I don't know why that was important to them, but um, so that they had, they set up a bunch of couches and had uh, some DJs playing, um, which is a real bummer for me because like I, this is what I avoid parties to avoid is, yeah not being able to hear the person I'm talking to. Um, I, and it was also like, there was also people, I didn't see much of that. I only saw a little bit of this myself, but there was also like, oh yes, the security people are preventing people from handing out zines and kicking homeless people out of the park, which is supposed to be a public space. And that was a bummer. What does it mean to rent it out if they don't kick out people who aren't well, part the, of your group officially uh, on the official page for like whatever it was like chill GDC chill in the park was the name of the event or something like that. And it um, said in the text that it was going to be open to all, I not see. just badge holders. Um, and it turns out that I guess that means you have to look like a nerd. Um, so that was a little bit of a bummer. Uh, but aside from that, 
you know, same, you know, oh, every, all my friends are from around the world are now in this space. That's cool. I went to the Delete Jam, which had a similar problem where uh, it was in a kind of a cool space, uh, but then there were DJs inside making it just extremely unpleasant to be inside there. So everyone... And this is weird because I kind of felt bad for everyone in this situation. Everyone just congregated outside in the smoking section and then got mad at the people who were smoking out there, uh-huh, which sure. it's like, yeah. hmm, okay, well. Yeah. Um, I, so if there are any DJs in listening to this, I'm sorry that you exist, but I like sometimes I, I can see the appeal of like live music, but as far as I can tell, like unless you're doing like turntablism, a DJ is just there to manage a playlist and get annoyed when you ask them to turn it down. Like that's their their so like that you could put YouTube on autoplay and it would serve the same purpose, except that it wouldn't get annoyed when you ask them to <laughs> keep it at a reasonable volume. Also, uh, I'd like to announce that we are no longer accepting emails or uh, Twitter <laughs> at replies. I mean, a DJ is fine if you, like a DJ is fine for an environment where you want to go and just dance to uh, music that overwhelms your entire body with its intensity. Right. And it's fine. Basically, absolutely nowhere else. Right. It is not. Uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway I'm, I'm only annoyed. Like I have spent much of my life avoiding loud rooms and now they're following me. So that's why <laughs> I'm annoyed. Did you, it was weird. Like our party got insufferably loud, yeah, even though there was no music playing. Right. And, and that's the other that's, thing about like, that. that's the thing that, that is kind of like the, the elephant in the room. Whenever I talk about loud music is that it's going to be fucking loud no matter what. Yeah. You get 200 drunk people talking to each other, um, but like there's why, just ripples of but loudness. Why make it worse? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that's what we figured. Yeah. Yeah. Our party was good though. You were only there for a few minutes. <laughs> so as far as I saw, you were only the, there the only interaction we had at that party was that you said something like you're finally in your element, <laughs> which like, I think I got the joke, but I'm not sure. No, I was surprised that you showed up at all. Oh, okay. Just yeah. because like, I feel like you never really wanted to be at that thing. And I, now that you have a kid, you have a perfect excuse to be like, oh, sorry, I can't go. Well, that my was kid. the only one I went to that oh. week. So, you know, you see, you want to you show up where your friends are going to be. Well, that was sweet of you. It was nice to see you, however, briefly. Yeah. Um, what have you been up to, Riff? Mm, I spent a bunch of time uh, trying to learn how to play an old board game. How I, I think we've. Uh, 1979. Um, okay. I think we've talked about it before, but it would have been a while ago. It would have probably been before Jim was with us, which is which is a shame because I think this game is right up your alley, Jim. Actually, because huh. it's called Magic a, a Realm. A game that I would like. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, all right. Okay. Puns. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, realms. We know. We know what you um, like, Jim. Uh huh. But uh, it's a it's a uh, it's an old Avalon Hill uh, board game, which in case like in case we have younger listeners that maybe don't remember when Avalon Hill was a thing, um, they mainly made uh, 
like war games. They made incredibly complicated war games with names like Advanced Squad Leader, where your units are a big double handful of little cardboard squares and the rule book goes in a three ring binder. Uh, and Magic Realm is basically what you get if somebody described Dungeons and Dragons to the designer of one of those games. Uh, so it's got just a million of little cardboard tokens representing different monsters and the different quality of attacks and speed of movements that your character can do. And it comes with 16 different character options and, and the combat system is ridiculously complicated and so on. And I, I have never managed to, to actually play a game of it. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I like to take it out of the closet every couple of years and, and try again. And, Just uh, admire it. So it's explicitly designed for solo play. Uh, it can be. Yeah. You, it, the, the multiplayer, um, the multiplayer version of it is basically multiplayer solitaire, except you can choose to fight each other if you encounter each other. Uh, mm. so, huh. so it still works as a, as a solo play thing. It um, seems like games like this aren't made anymore because computers end of because, sentence. Yeah, because um, computers <laughs> do it better, kind of. Yeah, right. So I'm I'm curious yeah. what what your attraction to this is, given that it seems like it's 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 tough to play. Yeah, I I I like the the physicality of a of a physical board game. I like rolling dice and and you know, flipping over a token. Um, and also just these, these old games, a lot of times have, uh, like concepts or systems that you don't really see anymore. And often you don't see them anymore because they're too complicated <laughs> or too weird, but it's still interesting okay. to read about them. Um, there is actually a Java implementation of this called, uh, realm speak uh that is is super well implemented although it doesn't come with rules or anything so you you kind of still need a full copy of the rules to be able to understand what you're doing um but yeah that's i've been i've been messing around with that somebody wrote somebody wrote a uh a like a a book of tutorials that that was basically like 16 chapters and each chapter uses a different one of the characters and it sort of gradually introduces you all the different systems and concepts and uh wow this it, is all it, fan service stuff like this is all things that fans of the game yeah this is all board game geek people have have done this stuff yeah yeah wow. it's all community created stuff that uh that tutorial book is about 240 pages long <laughs> by the way. Jesus. Wait, so is, the, is that book like, it's written like a novel? Like a story about characters? No, it's it's just, uh, it, it's uh, just turn by turn. Here's here's what here's okay. what we're going to do next turn, and here's what the results of that were. I rolled a three and a four on this table, and therefore the result was, you know, that kind so of thing. So it's just a really dull novel. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's a very dull and postmodern novel. <laughs> right. There is also a a huge um, fan made third edition of the of the rule book that that attempted to like 
clarify and and reorganize everything to to make it more easily digestible um that is also 240 pages long <laughs> so yeah is it, there is there some mystical significance to the number 240 that causes everything that fans do to, to be, be 240 to be pages long? long yeah no i don't know it's, uh, they weren't both exactly 240 pages long they were just in that vicinity 230 oh, I see. So you're lying. pages long. I'm estimating. Okay. You don't think estimating is a kind of lying? <laughs> because you know, you, there is the assumption that the thing that you're saying is not correct, right? Which is what makes something a lie. It's, it's sort of like Schrodinger's lying because I might be correct. That's I true. Think not I'm, even you I know. think I'm nearly correct. So it might be not a lie. Okay, so you just have plausible deniability. Exactly. Yeah. Like the like how they load one blank into one of the guns of one of the guys in the firing squad, <laughs> so they can all believe that they've never killed anyone because exactly, it was yeah. always them that got the blank. Yeah, that's great. Unless you're uh, unless you're playing, uh, uh, is it Return of the Obra Dinn, where you can see the trajectories of the bullets and tell exactly which guy it was that had the real one. <laughs> right. Yeah, were there any firing squads in, in Return of the Overdin? Or in the board game I'm playing? <laughs> it wasn't a good question anyway. <laughs> Either way you slice it. Um, are we ready to talk about the um, the video games that we've been playing? Sure. We could do that. What, what video games have you been playing, Jimothy? So I play a game called Ghost Wizard. Oh yeah! What? That's, that sounds yeah. amazing. How did you? Uh, how did you feel about it, Jim? <laughs> I, you know, I, I at first I was like, "This is really boring." <clears throat> right? It's kind of it's too big and it's a little impenetrable. <laughs> it, it took quite so so like you, I, I guess neither of our co-hosts remember you talking. Well, it's Kevin wasn't there. Remember you talking about this last week? This is oh, the right. game that Zach made for Seven Day oh, Roguelike. Right. right. Which I couldn't play because it's Windows only. Ugh. Well, you could have loaded it up in DOSBox. Yeah, uh, or you could have. Uh, you could have. You, you can also download QB64. The source is included with it. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. So, so this is a game where you are. It's. I think it's. It is turn based. Mm -hmm. You're wandering around a world that is probably too big. Like basically, like I spent most of the game. And this is, this part was actually like, this is the kind of thing I play games for. So it worked out, uh, is just figuring out what the hell's even going on. <laughs> um, it has a combat system, but you, yeah. So you, you wander around, you, you have, um, I, you have a, a health meter and then a, a MP meter, basically, and the MP meter is called influence. So if you have too low influence, you can't do anything to the world. Um, and so, like, if you fight a bunch of monsters by, by attacking them with your, with your magical spells, then you suddenly can't interact with the world at all. But if you, like, wander around for a little bit longer, you get one MP back, and then you can use that to knock over a cairn. 
And there might be MP in the cairn. There should always be MP in the cairn <laughs> if you are at zero MP. Okay, but what if you're at one? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, maybe I didn't do that math right. <laughs> I only had seven days to make this video. That's right, yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, and so you, you wander a while, and there are different biomes, and you eventually find additional... You, you, you find different spells around the world, and you find figure out ways that your spells can interact with the world. And there are a number of pretty satisfying uh, ludic turns, like ludic, like, oh, I can do this and that. Uh, that opens up the game in a way I didn't expect it to, uh, I didn't expect to be available to me. Sort of like a um, candy box kind of situation? Yes, but more like kind of just falling out of the simulation. Oh, okay. Um, like you think that areas are impassable until you get a verb that lets you like burn trees, for instance. Right, right. But it doesn't like the first time you try to move through a tree, it doesn't say you can't go there because you can't burn this tree yet. So it's like I I I wonder if I bet you would not have stuck with it if it had been made by a stranger. Probably not. Oh. It cuz it did take like maybe half an hour for me to like get to what uh, a part that I thought was an interesting turn. Yeah. Is the, it's is just the world the, I procedurally made the generated? Or is I the... made the game world way too big. It's, it is largely procedurally generated. Some of it is more procedurally generated than... Yeah, there's, there's definite others. like human structure to it, to some of it. Um, and it also has this a meter, I think it's called knowledge, that as it goes up, you get more information that what you know about yourself and the situation you're in displayed in the HUD. Um, and at first there was a real slow trickle of knowledge. Like I was getting like 1% every five minutes, maybe just finding them and finding loose knowledge in Cairns. Um, and then like later on, once I figured out what I'm actually supposed to be doing, it just came flooding in. And I think I ended with over 200%, which is ridiculous. Um, and then like when I, I got to the point that I figured was the end game, um, but couldn't do the final action cause I didn't have enough MP. Oh no. <laughs> and so I alt tabbed away and then came back and then the game was frozen. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then I went to the source code to see how close I was to the end. And that was, I was very close to the end. Oh, nice. <laughs> so <laughs> I, so I, I definitely, I understand, like, it, once it was revealed to me, I made this game world way too big, just because I was like, hmm, this is how big it should be, and then it's like, oh, fuck, now that I've generated this and I'm actually, like, playtesting it, it's kind of taking too long, even though I know exactly where to go, so if I didn't know where to go, it would be way too long. Right. Um, and it was too I, late at that definite, point to like, change things? Yeah, too much stuff was hard-coded based on the actual size of the world, yeah, and it was, like, it, you know, it wouldn't have been too late if I was developing a traditional video game, but, like, I had a week. Right. Um, I mean, there's definitely, like, some, and it's, it, the trade-off is almost certainly not worth it, but there is some value to, like, uh, the feeling of, kind of, you're stuck in this place, an endless wandering, being a ghost. Yeah. Like, that's, that's apropos. So, um, so like if this game were, well, if, if this game were like released in the eighties, it would have the opposite problem, which is that like, it, it's too fast paced and it's over like in <laughs> right. a couple hours. 
I was pretty satisfied with the like overall progression. Like if you got through the whole thing, like you saw it, right? Yeah, like, I, I you, didn't get all the spells. Yeah, you don't but, need all of them. Right. There's there's usually two options for any given like critical path thing that are just vary in their like effectiveness and uh, yeah. cost. But, yeah, there was definitely like stuff that I still didn't understand. So like I it felt it was it was effective in uh making it feel like though even though even though I had like finished the game, I didn't actually finish the game, but even though I'd almost finished the game, I felt like there was still like mystery left in the world, which is a cool place to be when you're coming away from a world. It had realms. I made it's it sure another, did. It had, I've now made two games with it, realms. It had at least three realms. Yeah. Supposed to have five, but two of them got cut for scope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I tried to put a lot of it. I think I did a good job early on of like making everything fairly systemic so that it was like, oh, I'm going to go in and just put in a bunch of like secrets for like using a particular spell on a particular thing. Yeah. Like if you. If you hit a tree with a sword, it's supposed to take two hits with a sword to get through a tree, which is the thing that is supposed to, what it is meant to do is teach you that this is not the right way to get through trees. Ah, right. But if you, the first time you hit it, it just turns into a stump. But then I was like, oh, what happens if you, I just started going through every one of the spells and deciding, oh, what does it do? And I just made it. So for no real reason, if you put, uh, if you put holy water on a stump, it just regrows into a tree, <laughs> which is not a thing that would ever happen. But it's just it was very, very easy to just go in yeah, and put in a, a bunch a, of a bunch of stuff. It's like a fun that. interaction. And it's also like an opportunity to write a little bit of poetical or funny text. Yeah. yeah and that was kind of where I was. I mean, that's that was basically where I felt that like sort of there, thing stretched out over lots and lots of years is basically how NetHack is such a thing. Right? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um. I saw a tweet recently, I think it was Leon Arnott, um, saying that uh, one of the defining characteristics of NetHack is learning to care for all your incredibly fragile items, and like learning all the, the little rituals that you have to perform. Uh, in, Greasing your armor before you go into the water and right, stuff. Right, right, right. Mm. And putting your, your scrolls in a... Um, a, a waterproof bag, bag yeah. in case it gets wet. Yeah. I, those are the things th- that's the exact level of detail of the simulation that makes me give up on that hack. Sure. Yeah. And I, 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 well, and given that it is a defining feature of the game and I agree with that, like it's not a game for you and that's fine. Did you, uh, did you, did you uh, manage to uh, remember all of the feelings in ghost wizard? Um, was there like a grid there? Yeah, there are eight feelings. I don't think I got all the feelings. Yeah. That was a last minute thing where I was like, oh, I should put like some kind of achievement system in here just so that there's something else to accomplish. Yeah, um, that's neat. I didn't know that. Um, I, I mean, I definitely like noticed drunk. What's up? Is one of the feelings drunk? <laughs> no, no. You're a ghost. You can't get drunk. Okay. Just wanted to check. Uh, I definitely like was. I. There were only a couple of feelings that I remember appearing like, as connected with one of my actions, and I'm sure they all were, but like there was the one for destroying a, a tombstone. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there was one for discovering the third realm. Right. 
Um, <laughs> that sounds like a funny euphemism for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like a conversation I had where someone was saying, explaining that a, a latte was a third foam. <laughs> and I miss hearing them as be, like talking about something about the third foam, uh-huh. like a, a third, like <laughs> a fo- third kind form of, of matter. Right. Right. Oh, it was one third foam. I see. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> Uh, you were like, wait a minute, I, what are the first two? Like, yeah, I, don't exactly. I, I was actually, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I said next. So there's styrofoam. I, mean, I thought maybe it had to do with like third wave coffee. <laughs> uh, and I played a game uh, made by someone who was at the party uh, at the um, Asymmetric Campo Santo party called One Screen Platform. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good old uh, Chris Zukowski. Did you play that Adventure as well? Mountain. Yeah, I've been playing it and talking about it for months what? on this podcast. Really? Thanks for paying attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I've been beta testing it for a long time. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> like, I totally believe that like I was, was anytime someone was talking about this game, I just happened to zone out because that, that totally happens. You can hear it in the podcast when I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I pipe in with an interjection of, of a thought I just had. Someone else had five minutes ago. Mm. <laughs> um. Uh, one screen platformer is a uh, it so it's a, it's a it's a platformer that is um, structured uh, to it, it's a, more accurately I would say described as like a one level platformer. Um, it's so where you the default mode should be zoomed out, but the default mode is zoomed in, and I didn't even know you could zoom out until the game released there's yeah. just a camera there's a view about, button change that would let you play it all on one screen i knew about the zoom but it was just too small for me to play it that way yeah. yeah um yeah so you can zoom out and look at the whole level at once and that's cool but it's it's finishable in like five or ten minutes with the first with the default character um and it's meant to be replayed with the different characters with their different abilities and to be speed run and then there's also a hard mode for each character, which actually I think there's just a hard mode and it. What's the difference? Do you know? Uh, a bunch more obstacles are added in the world. And I think it is not those things don't vary per character. It's just the way that an individual character has to deal with an individual obstacle varies. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, a decent like I, I would say I wouldn't say it's like great game design, but it's like totally playable and fun and looks really good i think i think it's a really good uh yeah the art is really nice yeah um and i i finished it with like three of the characters or something and then uh and the differences were kind of like it un- unexpected so what there's there's a default character where you just like run and jump and then there's a character where you have to uh Hit a, you have to collect a bunch of coins between they're, they're not coins because there's another character that collects coins. You have to collect a bunch of orbs before the next checkpoint will activate. So you can't hit a checkpoint unless you've collected all the orbs. So in, in addition to like getting past all the obstacles between this checkpoint and the next, you also have to touch a certain a, a bunch of certain places on this on the level. And that guy has a double jump. And that person has a double jump. I think I think all the rest of them have a double jump. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a guy that it's basically the same thing, but they have to touch all a bunch of places on the world before they can finish the level. But also until they touch the play, those places on the world, they're covered up in like fog of war. Yeah. Oh, huh. Um, 
and so like you get the the you 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 get the effect of like not really knowing what places are unsafe until you've already been there and died and now that you've mm-hmm. died there you can see the oh there's lava there but you've also played through the game a couple of times already so you kind of knew already that there was lava there. You also have to go to a bunch of places that you would normally not have any reason to go just right. because there's fog of war over there to clear. Right. So it's yeah. Uh, I don't remember the other gimmicks. Anyway, it's it's stuff like that. Um, and so talking to this guy at the party, he was saying that he wanted to make a bunch of sequels to this game. They were just like new levels, like additional. Uh, additional levels but the exact same game which i think is like a almost like you could almost like you could you could do it like on a subscription model like i could see myself being interested enough in like i don't need to speed run this thing but i could see myself like saying yeah i'll play the new one screen platformer this month yeah i absolutely would and i mean i think he's as i remember it his plan is maybe to try to sell them for 99 cents or something and i would i would spend 99 cents a month on a new level for this even if there was like just a rearrangement of the existing stuff Mm -hmm. wonder how many ideas he has for (laughs) i mean there are as many ideas for platforming hazards as there are unique platforming hazards in all video games ever okay i thought you were gonna go somewhere philosophical with that (laughs) no i was just i was just suggesting that it's very easy it would be very easy to rip those things off because they're like you know you could do it without actually infringing anything meaningfully yeah yeah uh and i played another game uh, uh, so i met someone at gdc who explicitly did not want to be associated with this game but uh, and his name was Marcus Notch Person. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't Notch. Uh, but I won't say beyond that. You might be able to narrow it down. Uh, the game is called um, Perp Picker. Uh, so, you, do you guys remember when I talked about the game where you um, match? What, what, it's a game where you decide which domain name is valued higher on yes. the market. This is a game where you are presented with two mugshots and then two. Um, sentencings, and you're supposed to match the mugshot to the sentencing. Oof. Wait, like right, of and that's why humans, like of real people. Yeah, these are this is like downloaded like from a based on Florida public, database. Public data. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. Um, and that's why the guy didn't want to be associated with it was because it's like kind of gross on its face. Um, and I so actually, given that, I'm not sure why he made it, but um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what he was saying that not, and sound I, pleasant to play because I mean, right. even, so I, even if you're so I, right, you're, you're, you're either going to reveal some terrible prejudices in yourself or in the justice system. <laughs> right. And that's exactly what happens. So I played this game and it made extremely clear the very specific prejudices of the Florida justice system. Um, and so like, mm. That's why I'm talking about it because I think it's actually a interesting, if extremely unpleasant, educational game. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, you you see two mugshots and there's a there's a white guy and the black guy and like it says, oh, okay, cocaine possession three years, 
cocaine possession 20 years. I wonder which one is which. Mm-hmm. Is it always the same crime or is it? No, it's it's. So are you, are you put into the position of thinking, I wonder which one of these crimes the black guy committed? Is it always a black guy and a white guy or is no, it just no, random? It's, it's just random. Okay. So that's. Yeah. I feel like that's. And that's interesting. Yeah. But like. Huh. That's way more interesting than if it was try. Oh, so yeah. here's the problem. No, like, I, I think it's yes. way it's way less defensible than if it was trying to make a point about systemic injustice. <laughs> but it's way more interesting than if it was trying to make a point about yeah, systemic no, it, injustice. It is an which, interesting like weird. skill to well. And then there's like an artist. I don't. It's not called an artist statement, but like there's a button you can click where the there's a paragraph that the guy wrote about injustice and and justice is some prejudice um and it, it seems very tacked on but like i think the guy was trying to make clear that like in case there was somebody who was going to to play this game and see that black people spent way more time in prison and think that was the fault of the black people you know mm-hmm. that he wanted to write this paragraph that nobody's going to read for them right he must have done cocaine in a way worse way right. if he got 20 years for it than this other guy who was just like doing some cocaine so yeah. that he could work more to support his grandma yeah yeah it it is interest it is an interesting game but it's also like real hard like it 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 is kind of fun in a gross way like it's very prurient if that's how you pronounce that um but it also kind of makes you feel gross to play. Yeah, I feel like that's a game that if I found it, I would play it and think about it a bunch, but then I would not tweet a link to it. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to do that. I'm, I, I guess I did. Yeah, like the fact that I'm willing to talk about it here is probably more that I have more space to talk about my feelings about it than I would in a tweet. Yeah. Sure. Also, this kind of doesn't seem real in a way that a tweet seems real at least to me oh it's, it's, it's on the record but it's not googleable right it's certainly harder for like someone who's trying to like dig up dirt on you to to find and quote yeah thank god <laughs> but, but like why would why would yeah. s- tweeting like hey this is an interesting game be a bad thing because it is interesting right uh, it, well, it's because interesting is like is a form of um, oh Jesus Christ! I I can never remember words anymore. I'm so old. Yeah, it's just, a form of endorsement. You're just sleep deprived. Yeah, um, that's probably huh, part of it. Okay. The yeah, that's I think that's what I would worry about. Like right, like because if I if there's something that is provocative and I am and I have strong feelings as a result of it. I don't necessarily understand those feelings well enough to understand whether I should be embarrassed about them or not. Like whether is this, is this, is this illustrating something about me that I should examine and maybe try to stop responding to things in this way? And if so, or if it isn't until a couple of weeks later that I think about it again, I'm like, Oh man, I, I don't like the way that that made me feel and I should endeavor not to be like that. Then if you've tweeted about it before that, then it's suddenly like, Oh, here's the time that I recommended this thing that I eventually like, but I don't know. You know, it's so what I was recommending then was the experience of playing this thing and then having it prompt some kind of personal growth. Yeah. But that kind of nuance. That's not a, that's not 
a nuance you can convey on Twitter, basically. Yeah, maybe, and it doesn't, and maybe it doesn't on prevent Chinese Twitter. It doesn't prevent people from right to Chinese Twitter, which is also like tonal, right? <laughs> uh, you you can't. I don't know. I like. I'm not worried that somebody is gonna like weaponize shit that I've said in the past against me. I don't know why. Like fucking happens to Gary all the time and it never happens to Cole. And I do understand why. Yeah. But I, you should explain why to the listeners. Well, some of them don't, I don't know that I want to explain oh, why I'll, I I'll think explain you, why. you explain why it's because Gary fucking engages with those pricks. Right. Yeah. Like he talks to them whereas Cole is barely on Twitter. Like, yeah, they believe the same things with basically the same vigor. I think, but also Gary just talks about it a lot more. Yeah. And like, I don't think that makes Gary worse. And he doesn't, he doesn't just talk about it like, uh, what, like into the void, like everybody does on Twitter. Sure. He actually will like reply to people who are, yeah, that sucks. Every time like, I tried so hard to figure out how to mute curious cat because it was so depressing. Just watching that aspect of my depressed friend's life, just constantly making itself worse. <sighs> yeah. But like, I could never could figure out how to mute it. Um, yeah, but I think though beyond just that, there's there's like I don't, I'm not a good enough person for anyone to bother trying to fuck with me like that. <laughs> like I don't set myself up in opposition to people who I think are pricks, uh, because I don't like conflict, and it's uh, you know I maybe I should maybe if I we're more concerned about actually accomplishing good in the world. Yeah. I have definitely like making, made a, made a deliberate choice to like, to not provoke the beast since I, a had a kid and B changed my name to something that's way more like you could probably search it on Spokio and find just one address instead of a thousand. Right. I'll do it on the podcast, but I won't do it on Twitter. And that's, I guess that is, I yeah. think kind of what, like, that's where this conversation started was talking about this game. Perp picker, by the way, yeah. is what it's called. If you want to look it up. Yeah. And then you can decide whether you want to tweet about it or not to your like nine followers. <laughs> so I'm talking to the listener. I'm assuming that our listeners have on average nine Twitter followers because most of them probably aren't on Twitter at all. Right. So they have the default zero. So that's a, that's a video game and a video game discussion. Was that those three? That was, that was three. That was your two weeks. That was my two weeks. I have more, but I want to save them for another podcast. Mm. Like a different podcast that you're on with cooler people. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what have, uh, what have you been playing, Kevin? Um, I haven't had a ton of time to play games cause I've been so busy seeing the world. Uh, but I, I brought my switch with me. Um, and I have been playing some Baba is you, uh, which is a, just a delightful puzzle video game. Can't talk about it yet. We're yeah. Cause we have to do that as an assignment this time. And so oh, Jim yeah? has been putting it off. Uh, but, it's fine. Uh, I don't, cause I don't want to, I don't want to have any, get any spoilers or give any spoilers for Baba is you yet. Cause I'm not done with it. Uh, and it's just, it's just so delightful. And if you haven't, if you haven't do, played it yet, we should just definitely do it. Do we can totally just do this, this week and world is world is thing next week. Yeah, that's totally fine. That sounds great. World is next door. 
the world is next okay. door. So if uh, cool. if I can't talk about that because it's the assignment for next week, then uh, what I the other the only other game I played is uh, this Switch game, which I got basically for free because it was like ninety percent off, uh, and I just spent my little gold coins on it, uh, and it was called Mad Age and This Guy, um, which is another sort it's a of good name. It is a pretty good name. It's it, it's it's a weird little thing. It's a little bit like a Sokoban style puzzle game where you're pushing stuff around on a grid, but there are real time enemies moving around in the space. Um, so it's not turn based in the same way that a lot of those sort of grid based games are. And uh, it's sort of steampunk themed, but for no real reason that I can tell. I think that's what the matter. So like is. anything steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, but there there are things that are steampunk themed, which like that directly informs like some sort of narrative bits or whatever. This this just seems to be the like set dressing for the for the the thing, and then then it also takes place in weird places like the Arctic for no obvious reason, um, caves and the Arctic. Anyway, uh, it it's the puzzles are not they're they're not exactly puzzles. I guess you they're it's more like an arcade. Sokoban, I guess, because they're you're trying to defeat these sort of robots that are roaming the halls, and sometimes some of them are like just doing their independent paths, and some of them are wandering randomly until you get close to them, and then they start following you, um, and you have like bombs that you can you can place around the level and that kind of thing. Um, but it's also the levels are sometimes very long, and if you get hit by a robot or if you actually are in the blast radius of one of your bombs, it just restarts the level entirely. There's no checkpointing and that can get very frustrating. Um, so I, it's, I, it's an okay game, but it's not something that I would, I would necessarily recommend in part just because of that, the, the like sort of lack of checkpointing for these, for some of the very large levels that you get to later in the game. But that's about, that's about it. I haven't really had a chance to, to do much other game playing in the past uh, couple weeks. I have a question for you, Kevin. Yeah. I'm curious if your experience of this is similar to mine. I, I don't remember buying a new iOS game and getting into it enough that it was even worth mentioning to anybody else since Cinco Pouse, huh? which was 16 months ago. Do you, have you been playing games on your phone? Because I feel like I just kind of haven't for uh, six months. This because I, I feel like that corresponds. Kind of felt, I feel like there's a a drought of worthwhile phone games in the past I year. Feel like the the thing that changed for me was getting a switch, and so a lot of my discretionary time, which would have gone towards uh, phone games, is now going towards playing games on the switch. Um, that said. Um, I have played a couple games on the phone, I guess. Um, like, you know, I, I continue to play like Hearthstone, for example, and there's, you know, like Twinfold was one that came up that we talked about a bit recently. Oh, right. Okay. All right. No, that's a good point. Twinfold was great and new, and it was a good phone game that was good, and I played a lot, and I just uh, kind of forgot about so it. So looking at my games folder, Evergarden was just recently released on phones. Mm, okay. So that's probably worthwhile. 
Uh, I played that we, on PC though, and I and I feel like Hearthstone doesn't count either for that. Sure, reason. sure, <laughs> but but yeah. Evergarden is so clearly much more of a phone game than a PC game. Uh, do you think? I I feel like that. I guess you're probably right. Although like it feels I, like a Hex Triple Town, you know? Yeah, like a like one of those. The other thing, that- I think I wouldn't have gotten the same sort of mystery and mood from it if I'd been playing it on a phone. Yeah, maybe. Really? But I don't know. Just because of the immersion from a large monitor? Or? Yeah, it's just so, yeah, I think so. It's just, and also just like playing it with like over the ear full headphones on as opposed to playing it while listening to a podcast. Right. Which is what okay. I would do if I were playing it on the phone. Sure. Um, uh, but the, the other thing that I wanted to mention about the iOS, which is sort of an interesting project, uh, is there's a thing called Game Club, which is their sort of stated goal is to bring back old iOS games or even other platform games, like maybe even port them to iOS um, on sort of modern uh, iOS architecture. Um, and the way that they've been doing that is like getting a developer, either getting the, I'm not exactly sure what the back end is, but I think they're like getting the source code from developers and sort of bringing it forward to modern devices. And then they just hmm. uh, hand out uh, test flight invitations. So you just, it's sort of like a club that you get like a game a week and you get to play them. And I think, and I don't know if they're oh, going wow. to then. So this isn't like, you can't get these from the store. Exactly. At least not, at least not currently. Wow. Maybe, maybe eventually you can. I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a really neat model and I don't know. It's, they're on their like third week of doing this. Third, Does that third scale? Game. How scalable is that? Yeah. yeah. It seems like it, as soon as that gets popular, Apple will make them stop. I have no idea. <laughs> So I, I heard about it and I signed up immediately and then, uh, they like just started sending me emails with test flight invitations. So I don't know if this is something that there are 50 hmm. people playing or a thousand people or what. Cause I think they, I think Apple loosened the, the, the numbers of test flight invitations you can get out. So that this is at least, it used to be limited to like a hundred or something like that. And now I think it's more like a thousand or 2000 or something like that. Um, Maybe I I don't know I I don't know all of the the sort of back end information that would probably make it more useful um, to discuss this but uh, what's it's what's the, it the idea of it's super clever game club. Okay. I can I can post a link to it. Yeah, in you're the gonna have Slack to link that to me because that's not gonna Google. Exactly. I would like yep. to see a graph of my spending on iOS over time. Yeah, because there's the because Steam lets you do that, right? Like they all there's like some at least some sort of tabulation of how much you've spent on Steam. I wonder if there's a similar thing for iOS. What uh, what have you been playing, Riff? Um, I played. Um, well, I I attempted to play the new FromSoft game Sekiro, uh, and and I played it uh, until I determined that this is not the game for me, so I started playing Bloodborne instead. <laughs> what's uh what's different about it so uh if you if you imagine like in in the dark souls games there's there's like two like basic ways that you can play you can either like focus on blocking and parrying or you can focus on like dodging and dashing and bloodborne took out nearly all of the blocking and parrying and focused entirely on dodging and dashing. And Sekiro does the opposite. It, it, it makes 
dodging and dashing much less useful and everything is about blocking and parrying and in particular it's about very precisely timed parrying and it's also and and also when a when a boss or an elite character uh winds up one of their unblockable special attacks you have to be able to like read the tell that it's giving and determine what kind of special attack it is and hit the correct button to counter that particular kind of attack in like a very small window. So it, it, it demands a huge level of like timing and precision, uh, in, in the, in the yeah. way that Bloodborne does not. And, and I have not played this game, but to hear Gary talk about it, there are, Two almost it's almost two separate games kind of mushed together where one of them is kind of a free form uh a pr- like stealth game where you can take yes. many different approaches to a scenario. Yeah, the the level then there's the are going. Well, and then there's the boss fights, which is what you're describing, where yeah. like there are there is exactly one approach that you can take and you have to find out what the game wants you to do and then perform it yeah. uh perfectly. The um the the uh, like I, I found those that that system of combat for the the boss fights to be just totally unplayable. Like, like maybe I could eventually get the ha- handle of it, but I could also be doing something that doesn't fun sound instead. fun. It doesn't sound yeah. like a, a good game. It, but the 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 levels are really great because the the um like in in Dark Souls and Bloodborne, the the levels are pretty much like paths that you you work down and sometimes the paths branch but they're still paths the the levels in Sekiro are hugely open and uh, frequently very vertical cuz you have a grappling hook and you you're just you get to choose your own route through a place if you want to go up over these roofs or or down below where there's grass that you can sneak through or just pick whatever whatever route you want to go to get from point A to point B and avoid or kill dudes that happen to be there as you please and uh, and yeah. that exploration that, is and that, is really interesting and and cool that part of the game sounds amazing yeah, and it's, I that's just, like, super sweet it it just makes me real mad well, I was already kind of mad about this, but like that, that so many people think that the interesting part about the, the soul series is that it's hard. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and especially because they, when, when Sekiro was first announced, they straight up said that, that this, this game, they were planning for this game to be more accessible to, to a general audiences. And it is the opposite of that. Yeah. It's, it's probably the hardest game they've ever made. Because uh, it's not just like the precision timing required, but uh, the the bosses destroy you if you miss a block. Like a, a boss will do half your health if you if you respond improperly. Uh, it's it's rough. It's rough as hell. And and for people that have that skill set and and reaction speed to be able to play it i'm sure it's awesome i don't want to say it's a bad game it's a very good game for specific people but i think a lot of people are not that people you know yeah but so i've i i went i've been saving my new game plus run of bloodborne like since when I originally played Bloodborne, I I left the same character save file, so that once enough time had passed that I'd kind of forgotten 
everything, all of the details in Bloodborne, I could go back and play New Game Plus. And I decided I, that this would be the time when I could go and do that. And I have been loving the hell out of it. That That is an incredible so I was gonna, game to me. I was going to ask you what's different, but I guess you don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, I think it's Well, but you said Bloodborne is about the dashing and rolling. Is that how you played Dark Souls? I mean, is that how you got yeah. good at Dark yeah, Souls? Yeah, I never parried a single attack in any of the three Dark Souls games. I don't know how to parry in a Dark Souls game. I keep... I bought Bloodborne in large part because of the way that you talk about it when I got my PS4, but I still haven't installed it, and I'm realizing that it is because I am afraid that I'm going to be as disappointed in it as I am in Dark Souls hmm. because like I am I am never going to get past the Capra demon because I'm never going to choose to do something that makes me that angry again right. and I it's like yeah. a huge bummer because there are so many things about that game that I like and I will just never be able to experience yeah. the rest of the game because of this one bullshit thing that is too hard for me to do. Yeah. Well, and is too hard so, for and is and is such a pain in the ass to even try that it is just infuriating and I I, I, I can just give up. tell you right now Bloodborne has some bullshit in it. Yeah. So like just don't bother. Just don't, I just I yeah. don't understand why all these games just can't have a, a difficulty option that, and it would, it could yeah. be the most stupid uh-huh. and simplest difficulty option ever. It could just be a thing that says easy mode. You take half damage and that would take, yeah. that would take yep. an hour for an interface guy to put in and an hour for the coder to code. And that would be yeah, all be you would very, need to do for, for that game to be, be very fun simple for to tons do. of people. Well, but there's clearly like a, philosophical reason to not do it you know but at a certain point like i feel like if they had a philical a philosophical reason for i mean you know what let you save everywhere no that fundamentally changes what the game is i mean i get it it's it like and i get that like the actual answer is get good you know it's like i would also really enjoy being a concert level pianist but i don't want to do the work to get that good at playing the piano even though i know it would be really rewarding and it would be really rewarding in a way that i would really appreciate uh but i just can't bring myself to feel that way about a fucking entertainment product yeah exactly i yeah. mean people should be allowed to like adjust a thing to make it accessible to them you know I wonder if there's like, I, I'm you know, it's too bad there's not like a game genie mm. that I could wish there, for a version of Dark so Souls that didn't have a camera demon yeah. in it. There are there are Dark Souls mods. That's probably true. I, like, although I'm mod, guessing that they're all to yeah, make it way harder. That's yeah. that's my that's mostly my observation are. is I every Dark Souls are. mod I've heard of is like, yeah, like there are there are like very general purpose mods that that rather than doing a specific thing that just give you the controls for a lot of things like i bet you could use like one of the general dark souls mods to like give all the enemies two hit points or something instead of what most of those guys using it use it for which is to give jp's done a tourist mod yet well but i don't want a tourist mode dark souls i just want a dark souls that like doesn't have the capra that demon. doesn't have the capra demon in it oh, yeah. well yeah, yeah i mean or yeah you could probably just edit the capra demon out of the game <laughs> is the i can't remember the 
Well, and, and I, I was going to ask you, Riff, but you actually haven't finished Dark Souls. You're the wrong person to ask, but I'm trying to remember now, like, if... I've if you get the master key, I'm not sure the Capra Demon is actually on the critical path. People tell me it's not, but okay. I it's it's in between me and the only way I know to go somewhere that I haven't. Oh yeah, been you would yet, just, you'd be you starting know? again, yeah, probably. Um, is that it, Riff, or did you play anything else? Um, that's all I can think of. I uh, I finished Lara Croft Go, hmm. finally. I had just been playing that a couple puzzles a day. Um, it's real good. Did you do the, the bonus levels? I didn't. I played a couple of them, and then I was like, yeah, this is... Like, I didn't need this game to be any harder. Okay. Um, they're, they're cool. It's clever. That's a real good game. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, yeah. I don't have much to say about it. I just... Uh, the theming is really well. Absolutely. With the puzzle structure too, I feel yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. I have absolutely no desire to go back and get all the collectibles that oh, I yeah, missed that's... because that is not a fun way of Yeah. So the for comparison, the um the collectible stuff in Hitman was finishing Hitman Go was finishing the levels under certain constraints. Right. Right. And that was actually part of the like it grew out of the gameplay. There's a much more interesting way to do it. Whereas this is just stand in the right place so that you can see a thing that's hidden in the environment. Yeah. yeah. And they never like, there's never a place that you can only go because it makes a collectible visible, which I appreciate from a design standpoint. Like they're not trying to trick you by it's more Steven sausage roll than Baba as you in the <laughs> sense that if you can stand somewhere, you will have to at some point. And that kind of helps you solve the puzzles yeah. by being able to evaluate the environment as created by the level designer. Um, so yeah, finished that. I played, uh, I played a game that I don't remember the generic first part of the title of, but I remember that it's like champions of the Amberlands or Amberland. It's definitely Amberland. Um, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> I, I need somebody to call a motherfucking Amberland. A motherfucking deer bit me. Um, maybe somebody has heard that. Uh, that that's the title, right? It's, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, it's something, 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 something Amberland. And it is. All right. Uh, I'm going to look this up while you keep talking. It's like a love letter to Might and Magic 3. Um, but. I think I am afraid that I've concluded that it is a love letter to Might and Magic 3 written by someone who is not very good at writing. <laughs> um, is it is it Legends of Amberland, The Forgotten Crown? Yes, it okay. is, in fact, Legends of Amberland, The Forgotten Crown. Wow. Um, it, is, it is a grid-based RPG like Might and Magic. It's you're a party of people. It Okay, so it has one, what I thought was a very clever uh, innovation, which is that instead of your party uh, order and like attack prioritization for enemies being just left to right. It's the guy in the middle is at the front of your party. And it's like, it seems like you're maybe like kind of in a flying V moving out from the, moving out from the center. Uh, And that became extremely clear right off the, like they didn't have to explain that because when you start the game, your paladin, your most armored fighter guy is just in the middle and your casters are on either end. I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, it seems like it's got, you know, towns 
and <laughs> a lot of gear for you to equip. But the towns are just menus, which I actually fucking love, right? It's not another map that you have to explore that there's nothing interesting about except like where's the where's the blacksmith? The blacksmith is there by that button that says blacksmith. Um, and, you know, it's like a big contiguous overworld. Monsters are moving around in the world, although I don't... I haven't found any ranged weapons, so I don't think that there's... And I tried to cast a spell at a monster that was far away and it didn't work. So it just wouldn't let me cast a spell because I wasn't in combat. So I think it's technically modal combats. So it's more like the adventure of Link where you can see the monsters running around on the map and you can avoid them if you want. But when you move into the square that they're on, it just starts combat mode. Um, It seems cool in a lot of the ways that Might and Magic 3 is cool, but like there are just tons of when I say bad at writing, I don't mean bad at making video games. I mean, like, actually bad at, like, getting words correct in sentences and spelling them good and stuff. And it's, if I don't object to, like, a super just cornball, like, I mean, you you guys know me. You know that I love nothing more than going into a dungeon and killing some goblins to get an amulet. <laughs> and I don't care who sent me there or what the amulet is for. It's probably for giving me plus one dexterity or something. <laughs> and I love that shit, but it has to be like, it doesn't have to be artfully done, but it has to be coherently done. Mm-hmm. And this, I worry is just a little too messy uh, in terms of plot and stuff, but I was excited about it. What it really, what it makes me want to do is, I don't know, hide a game mode in a loathing game for the main purposes of tricking my programmer into making me an engine that I can use to make a 3D grid-based maze crawler RPG. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's would... got to be an engine that out there that just is for that exact thing. I don't know, man. I don't think a lot of people like Might and Magic 3 as much as I do. But uh, the main thing that I have been playing is uh, the the announcement of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 made me uh, think, I should play Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines again. Wow. And uh, Remind me when that is. Is that from like 2000? 2003 2003, or 2004. It it came out right after Half-Life 2. Uh, which is sort of a notable thing about its development. It was, they licensed the source engine for it. And it was at the time, the second and only other source engine game that they weren't allowed to. It's sort of weird. Like the, the stories talk about how they, it was very clearly rushed and it launched like super unfinished. And like, it kind of didn't really get playable to a large and satisfying and completable extent on Steam until Steam incorporated like an unofficial fan patch that they somehow got everyone to agree to being okay with so that. That's, that's if you if you get this game on Steam, that it, it defaults to having this patch yeah, installed. Yeah, yeah. And the patch is... I think it re- it restores... It's, it's maybe some compromised version of the fan patch that doesn't restore cut content, but it does like just fix a lot of bugs. Um... Uh, and it moves some like quest rewards around and stuff The the game has sort of four big areas that you move around in that are quest hubs and then a bunch of kind of one-off like dungeons that you go to to do stuff and some of them are really really good and some of them are like yeah they just clearly didn't finish this one like i've just gotten to a sort of near the 
I don't know, three quarters of the way through the game where there is just this insufferably long sewer full of combats and combats are not what the game is good at really. Um, I decided to play as a Malkavian because I, now that I've finished it, it's interesting to play as the, the sort of character race that can, there's a lot of like seeing the future cooked into a lot of their dialogue responses. And I learned, I, I just, I also just read a bunch about the development of it. Uh, the guy who was the writer, Brian Mitsoda, wrote that they, they, they knew that they wanted the Malkavian vampires, which are the sort of like, uh, probably problematic from an ableist standpoint, like mentally ill vampires, uh, to have totally like completely different dialogue options for literally everything that the player can say in the entire game. So they had to put it off until the end. But what it meant was that he did all of the writing of the like crazy unhinged character when he was like the most burned out <laughs> on it. And it actually, I think ended up real good because of that. <laughs> like, because it needed to be silly and it yeah. needed to, like, I think that that, that stuff is going to sell way better if it's kind of tossed off and mostly is nonsense, but occasionally is very, very clever. And that's exactly what you get when you're doing a bunch of writing, when you're too tired to do a bunch of writing. Like, you're loopy enough to not overcorrect. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, I, uh, I decided that what I was going to do was I was going to play through Santa Monica, which is the first hub, which is by far the most like well-developed and has the most side quests and the most just things to do in it. Uh, and then I just like, I set up the steam shortcut to enable the console so that I could just give myself infinite XP so that I could max out all my character stats. Uh, just because I wanted to trivialize combat for the rest of the game, because I knew that about at the third of the way through the game point, they just start really leaning on. Here's a dungeon with a hundred guys for you to fight in it, which is absolutely no fun. If you're trying to do anything other than, I, I don't know, use a melee attacks because melee attacks are five times as good as guns in this game. There's probably a mod to trivialize combat. Just, yeah, everybody but I also just wanted, I wanted to see all of the dialogue options on every conversation for like, because on this one, it's like, you normally wouldn't get this much specialization, specialization, but on every one of them I got, here's the persuade option, here's the seduce option, here's the, here's the whatever, here's the whatever. I also found in the console, and I learned from looking, like when I was looking up console commands, there, there is a command that was either removed from the console in the shipping version of the game or very heavily constrained in the in the shipping version but was then either put back in or loosened up in the fan patch which has made it into the steam version now which is if you type money and a number it it modifies the multiplier of the breast size of every female character in the game <laughs> huh. what? which is Real stupid. Like, there's so much of this game is like just such like twelve year old boy goth well, horse shit. That, that which sounds, is like what the I mean that sounds like game development circa two thousand four. Yeah. Like, um like yeah, let's let's have a, a programmer dedicated to just the breast breast physics on this game. Yeah, and it was I like it was one of the first times I remember ever seeing like just every time a female character does anything, her tits bounce independent of one another. Uh, I did find that the game got a lot more, like a lot less grotesque when I just set it to 0.75 of what the developers wanted it to be. Oh, okay. And yeah. so that was kind of nice actually. Um, it also, there's, I posted that screenshot of all of the serials. 
there's oh, one yeah. convenience store in like the third area of the game that has more unique textures in it than the entire rest of the game combined. And they are, I was so pleased at how many of them were not like edgy, but how many of them were just like, let's like, I'm going to take a photograph of a box of count chocolate count chocula and i'm just gonna like change a bunch of the letters on it but not like you can see the squares where they dragged from a different part of the background <laughs> and replaced the letters but it's so but like it was shrunk to a 64 by 64 texture and the whole store is just has hundreds of products that are just That's like a, they went to the grocery store and took a picture of a box of yeah. Ritz crackers and then called them Sitz crackers or whatever. That's an opportunity for a thousand um, Bobson Dugnut jokes. Yep, there, there was a um, there there was a uh, a box of diapers that had not been edited. They just edited out the title and just typed poop catchers in. <laughs> In like <laughs> Times New Roman, which like you know what I'll give you that one. Like that is what they are. <laughs> but I'd also forgot somebody. Somebody replied to that tweet was like, "Oh, did you have you seen the new episode of Chin Shop Magazine? Because that's one of the magazines. There's a magazine called Chin, which is a picture of a guy's chin <laughs> and the word chin, and then Chin Shop, which I I can't tell what the picture is. It just looks like a picture inside a mechanic's garage or something. Um, like so many of the details are just like just edgy, like white wolf goth." horse shit you know which i like the aesthetic of it but it's like you know the politics of this are not great and they weren't then right like the point of this was to be off-putting to normal people and it was designed to appeal to people who think it's a good idea to make sartorial choices aimed at making normal people uncomfortable which you know fine go nuts but like you're gonna stop doing this once you're like 25 i bet um you know, not that there's still, I mean, like Wes, the animator for West of Loathing still dresses up, goes to goth nights. There are some people still into the aesthetics. I bet they're not like, I, I, I bet, bet they're not like hissing at finance bros who walk past the club that they're in. I bet you he know? didn't insist on enlarging, like animating the boobs independently of every character in, in West of in Loathing. In West of Loathing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, man. We should, I mean, he's got, we, like, we've already got all of the West of Loathing animations to use in the next game, so he's going to have way less to do, so maybe we should get on that. Maybe we should mm. yeah. get the... Just add more soft Human underscore template underscore female. Yeah. Um, and then you can backport it to the... Uh, you oh. could put independently moving tits on a West of Loathing character by using the hair sprites... But they would they would move around real weird because you'd have to make it like a really tall sprite that was mostly empty space uh -huh. and then just like a boob at the bottom of it. Uh -huh. And they would probably just swing around really wildly as the character moved and usually not be touching the body, depending on how big you made them. Uh -huh. But okay, let's see the fan mod for this. I think we've got a. Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. It's, I can make a GIF of it just in the engine without sure. shipping it. Sure. Yeah. It's, I probably shouldn't do that, but but a fan definitely should. Yeah, mm -hmm. an anonymous fan should but, definitely but, post from a yeah. brand new Twitter account with zero followers we'll do a, that I then retweet. We then uh, we just have a new email segment every week where uh, we just 
read email that we each ourselves wrote in anonymously. Oh, that's a great. <laughs> and then we get to make up funny names for ourselves, which yeah. I, I would love. Um, yeah, I didn't have a ton else to say about that. I guess it's it's. I mean, this is not a new observation, but it is such a great game and such a hot mess at the same time that it's it's a very like mythologizable sure game yeah. so what's your what are you anticipating that the sequel will be like that is a fantastic question i think it's got some people in common it's got it's um you know who it is it's the right it's the original it's brian mitsota the original writer and kara ellison so i think having a woman writing some or a lot of it is mm-hmm. gonna can only make it better yeah it seems as though White Wolf has gotten the memo, or whoever owns World of Darkness now has gotten the memo. Did CCP it, sell them? Just, I think so. Okay. I don't totally know. But, like, they're starting to, like, shed the, you know, Nazis from their communities and stuff. I mean, maybe they're just that, over 25 now. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably true. I don't know. I'm... I like I just don't have whatever muscle it is that people use to get excited about a game that's coming out 2 years from now so I don't yeah have any feelings about it really like I'll be happy to play it when it comes out and I hope it's good and there's no reason you couldn't make a good video game in 2022 or whatever you know let's hope <laughs> um it's I think it's probably easier to make a game of that scope now as long as they don't try to amp up the tech to then create a situation where it's harder to put right because it's it's not great at being event crawler but it is event crawler like it's there's one of the one of the clans of vampires cannot be seen by normal people or it counts as a masquerade violation right and so every level has a sewer system that 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 class of character has to use to get around and you can finish the game that way. Um, I bet it's, I bet it would be nearly impossible to finish the game that way. The first time, like if you didn't know how the maps were laid out, you would be doing a lot of like quick loading and quick saving. Right. Um, uh, now 15 years later, how, how, how long does quick loading and quick saving take? Yeah. It's, It's not as, fast as I would like it to be. Right, okay. The, actually, what the only the annoying thing is like when I tab out to... Sorry, what, what? Are the implications, what are the implications of a masquerade violation? I forget how that works. Uh, I think you get five and it's game over. Oh, wow. Like, okay. you, can, oh, wow. D- you can do things... That it's, it's sort of an interesting morality system. Well, I don't know. I don't know how interesting it is. There are different... Th- you can choose. Like, they say, all right, th- there's this, like, new fledgling vampire that has been talking to this screenwriter and the, the screenwriter has now written a script which is like, mm, this is too close to what's going on. Like, you need to destroy the script. There's only one copy of it and whatever. The guy, the guy just won't ever remember to write it down or maybe he didn't back it up or whatever. But then you also have to go kill... You're, you're tasked with going to kill the fledgling vampire that talk to him about it and you can let him go and say you know i promise i'll leave la no one here will ever see me again if you let him go it's a masquerade violation so Mm. there are things that like behaving compassionately towards another player counts as like i mean it's sort of like i think it's kind of set up like the prime directive in star trek where the interesting 
the prime directive is only interesting insofar as individual situations cause them to have to violate it and then justify having bucked the rules. There's other stuff you can do that, that gives you masquerade redemptions. Mm. So you can undo the damage. Although in a game with extra lives, in a game with saving and loading, you, that doesn't matter. Like that system becomes meaningless, right? Well, unless you are doing a deliberate violation, like if you want to be compassionate. Yeah. I guess if you're role playing. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Fair enough. You know, you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything systemic, but it doesn't need to, I guess. But there's also just a thing like you can. Also, I found out that there was a whole like quest giver with a couple of quests that I had no idea existed on my first playthrough because it's in an abandoned building in the second hub that you can only get into from the sewers. And uh, I just assumed that the sign on that building was equivalent to like the painted on doors on other buildings where it was like, oh, this must be a thing that they didn't implement the content from or whatever. Nothing ever breadcrumbs you there that I'm aware of. Um, But yeah, it's like there's this like ancient Egyptian vampire lady in there uh, and she sends you to a couple of different places, including the museum of natural history, which is one of the other, uh, where one of the other main quest line things happens to like retrieve some stuff for her. And it, I just was like, well, that's a character that I just never saw in my first playthrough. Um, it's pretty good. It's a good game. I like, I didn't expect myself to stick with it as much as I have. And I think like next time I'm at home and I have a couple hours, I'm going to go back and try and finish it. Cool. And then I'll wait a couple years and play. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. And I'll get all the references. Like how there's a big dial on the wall that changes the size of everyone's tits. <laughs> <laughs> so this time there will be a diegetic reason for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a diegetic dial. Di- Can you imagine dial- if they scoped, scoped the variables incorrectly so that every time you got some currency or spent some spent some money, <laughs> it, it changed? Yeah. It changed as well. Like... Yeah, like if the implication was that like the richer you are, the the bigger the tits will be on the people the that you hang out with. You stuff their that's, bras to, to impress you. That's yeah. Um, yeah. The I had also kind of forgotten that there are like four kinds of armor basically in the game. There's like normal clothes, light clothes, light leather, and heavy leather. I think or heavy armor or something. And uh, if I'm playing as the uh, Malkavian female character and the light leather is her in a kind of a like a police dominatrix outfit that says precinct 69 on the back of it, which is um, that's just that's just what's on the screen a lot of the time now because (laughs) melee combat is all in third person. Nice. (laughs) So, yeah, I was playing it while the guys were in my house. Uh, replacing my furnace and I was like kept feeling like there's no way one of those guys is going to walk up the stairs and look at my screen and see what I'm doing but the fact that I so badly don't want that to happen is something that I should be thinking about here like I should consider yeah I don't know I mean there's plenty of stuff I do up there that I don't want the furnace guy seeing so it's not like I think all of those things are wrong but (laughs) this one feels less I don't know. Results oriented. Can you just change it into heavy leather instead? Like I don't know. Yeah, I guess I could. I could uh, see if there's a console command to see what that is. I bet it's worse. Probably. 
you know? It's like the light clothes is like a cheerleader outfit. Mm-hmm. That's... There aren't... There are not very many differences playing as a female vampire either. Just the clothes. That I could see. The character model and then I... But there's not a ton of gender dialogue stuff at all. And... But even in the seduce options? Yeah, they're all like... Maybe there's an extra line. No, I'm not normally into girls, but okay. Oh. Like... Yeah. Uh... Hey, so should we talk about our assignment? Hypnospace Outlaw? Yeah. Sure. Uh, but noted friend of sweary, <laughs> Jay Tholen. <laughs> um, I guess sweary showed up at... Who published Hypnospace Outlaw? He said he was at a publisher party. He t- tweeted a picture of himself with sweary, which was funny. Um, I, I don't know. I, I remember like being surprised by... A seeing names I didn't recognize on like you know how games will like pop up the names of the developers the names of publishers mm-hmm. before the game starts I remember being surprised that I didn't recognize the name of the yeah. publisher so like, like a lot of new weird publishers now yeah no more robots um, is their publisher I see uh, also Swery's tweet was hashtag drinking with Jay Tholen and I was like dude no you're not you, you might be drinking near Jay Tholen, but you're not drinking with Jay Tholen. Um, Jay might have been drinking like a a club soda. Yeah. Hey, see, I, I, I talked to him for a while at the adventure game party at GDC, and I, I say he drank a Coke. Yeah. You Fluids. Know. He has Fluid fun. intake. Stay hydrated. Uh, Hypnospace Outlaw is like a, a kind of an adventure game that you play on a simulation of GeoCities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like which in, you're a and, and the interesting part of this GeoCities. Yeah. And the interesting part of this is is the depth of content in this fake GeoCities like yeah. that is all custom made for this game. Like almost an intimidating yeah. amount of content, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's really ludicrous. Um, I, I don't mean it makes sense, you know, I mean, you worked stuff. on it for a long time and this, yeah. yeah, so much stuff, so much, so many things to read, so many web pages and you basically, you, there's a, there's a kind of a veneer science fiction story. Yeah, veneer is dismissive, but it doesn't, there's, it doesn't play it's the, the technically like, much. yeah, there's this headband that you wear while you're sleeping. And this is like an internet that you use in your dreams. And that explains why it's the tech is different than if you were just a person using GeoCities. It is kind of, I do kind of like the idea that you're, you're browsing this internet at night and then kind of groggily half remembering it in the morning. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but you get tasked by your employer, uh, to find like the first case is we've got reports of people illegally using, uh, images of this cartoon fish. So you go and like, you click, I'm reporting copyright infringement and you click on the picture of the fish on a website. And then it's like, good job. And you get some money, which you can use money to buy like virtual pets and, uh, and, um, I don't know, or anti, um, antivirus software and stuff. Um, so it's, it's essentially, I guess it's like interactive fiction, right? It's an adventure of, game, because, basically. Because as you, yeah. as you go through it and do things, the the theoretical people that own these web pages that you're swinging the band hammer at react to that, and because like later right. on, the all the people that you've narked on for having this cartoon fish set up a, a new club protesting that they're being not allowed to show their love for this fish and so on. Right. 
And so it, it and all yeah, the, they're all, sort of like chapters stuff has like knock on effects as you go on through the plot. I uh, I, like that I got in the teen zone completely. Like all, of the, all of the guys have girlfriends, but all the girlfriends are actually just multiple accounts that they've made to pretend like they have girlfriends. <laughs> I I really want to finish this game, but I. I'm going to need someone to write a comprehensible walkthrough for it because there are, there, as much there are hints, there are hints as hard as I tried. I, the hint system is not as it was. It, he, he tossed it off in the, like I, yeah. I was talking to him about this. I seeing him on Twitter in that like last week of crunch where it's like, well, the game had to be shippable a week ago. So now I have six days to like if i'm gonna add like every feature that i thought about adding up until now i have six days to do this and just in that kind of feverish like getting so like i saw jake do it for firewatch i did it for west of loathing and seeing seeing jay do it i mean you know i know we're not supposed to glorify crunch but like the hint system came out of that it was like i'm gonna spend a day adding an entire hint system to this game yeah and it's not yeah that's that's something that i have never done and not because I'm afraid of like working hard in the last week of development, but because I'm afraid any features I add are going to add a bunch of new bugs. Yeah. Like, yeah, makes that's sense. The fun I mean, for me, it was only content stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. f- you know, for Jake, it was only stuff that he could do with existing things and like polish stuff. And, and I think for Jay, like he had built such a massive set, like it was making more web pages, right? Yeah. Like the, the hint system is just another website yeah. and that's just, you know, in a CMS somewhere. Yeah, I I got to the I got to the like I think the last case of the second time period where and I got access to the file server where you're trying to find the pirated music, but you had to use people's headband IDs and I couldn't figure out how you got anyone's headband. ID. Yeah, I feel like this. I, I kept expecting this game to like fall into a a pattern of like here are the mechanics you use to solve mysteries, but every single time like it's just. The, the way you do it in real life, which is just fucking figure out how to use this interface and how this and like look for the web page that maybe browse almost at random until you see a clue, you know, mm-hmm. to how to do this. In that case, I don't know that. And the, the thing that's missing from that real life has is you can't, you know, chat somebody and ask how to do something. Yeah. Um, and the hint th- system is there, but it was insufficient for me to figure right. out how to do a lot of the, the stuff. The way you do and that then, like, is discussion, a- the steam forum discussions are all, Oh, we'll just do this. And then it's like, okay, but I don't know how to do that. Every, every single layer of this. And this is a, absolutely a strength of the game that every single one of these puzzles is of a completely different structure and a completely different approach to getting it done. But I just like, even giving up and trying to look up how to finish this thing, I just couldn't figure it out. Yeah, they do, do tell you how to look up headband like ideas in the tutorial. Somewhere. Yeah, the, you know. that particular oh, problem who, who is, does, it's actually kind like, of an who, interface who, problem who because the that, button though? you click to get that is covered up by the search bar. Uh, so that, oh, I didn't know that. So yeah, if, if you're, I, I noticed yeah, that it's when just, I had that problem There is too. a button in the interface that you click on and it brings up the the information, the user huh. information of the current user. Yeah. Um, and but, I, I just found that by like clicking on stuff in the interface and seeing what happened. And that, that's how I was able to tell that the, all the girlfriends were fake. Cause it was all from the same headband ID and stuff. That's funny. Oh, I that's never funny. noticed that. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
but I, huh. but I, that's well, the thing i love a- i love that little that, like that's a, just a little throwaway detail that if you're looking for it you're like oh haha that's funny but like there's nothing that points you to that right yeah and there's a ton of that too yeah just all these weird little features that if you if you find this this one web page you can download a thing that changes all of the sounds in the game to Neil Cesariga making a sound with his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's very good. (laughs) I am also, I tried watching, I tried watching a video to figure out how to get past the thing that I was getting, that I was stuck on. And all there were was speed runs that were like six minutes long because they were, they were invoking some weird hidden through line that, Mm. Well, you don't actually have to solve the mystery. You just have to do the final action of every puzzle, right? Oh, huh. He didn't even do that. And the, the, the speedruns don't even do that. Huh. The speedruns skip huge swaths of... Like, I, you can, within like a minute of starting the game, get to the part where you've been like disbarred or whatever hmm. and become the outlaw. Interesting. I'm assuming you become an outlaw on the third day. <laughs> um, man, what a fucking thing. Yeah, it's for him to have made dropsy and then this and for them both to be like things that despite being so fucking weird also both managed to like kind of penetrate the mainstream games consciousness like I feel like dropsy didn't do that so much I feel like I heard like I've definitely heard them talk about dropsy on giant bomb and I heard them talk about hypnospace outlaw on giant bomb and that's like yeah, I mean they're 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 super uh, striking, you know. They're 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 attention yeah, grabbing because yeah. they they're they're obviously so different. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious what you know because I wouldn't say. Are there any similarities between Dropsy and this? I guess they're both adventure games, technically. Well, yeah, and th- that was originally. Uh, did you guys see the Kickstarter for Hypnospace Outlaw back in the day? I think I backed it. I but I backed it, but I no. backed it, but I never read any Kickstarter updates because there are too yeah. many of them. And so almost I, I was trash. talking to um, I forget which of the developers I was talking to when this came up, but the original plan was for this to not be an adventure game. The original plan was: Did you get to the point where you're playing like a a mini game where you're oh that's driving right. a car? It was originally yeah. just that like, mini game, wasn't it? It was originally that was the mini game, and then when you would arrest somebody, you would get to see their GeoCities page, hmm. and there were just going to be a few of those. And then everybody's favorite part was the fake web pages, and so they huh. just made that the game be about that instead. And so the original plan was to make this explicitly like, well, we just made an adventure game. Let's not do another one of those. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I I am. I was also really impressed with just. Uh, I mean, with the, with the just sheer amount of content in general, but the amount of music in this game and the amount of yeah. music that's like really well done. Yeah, it's I've had the I've had Granny Cream's hot butter ice cream song stuck in my head for <laughs> yeah days. You know the that seepage track is actually really good. The uh, all the 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 prog rock in there, like mm-hmm. the thing that's missing that I think. And I, I forget if I brought this up at Jay already, but like the thing that really needs to be in there that's not in there is some girl power pop, mm. like some Spice Girls type, type stuff. We got the Chowder Man. <laughs> and the sp- Chowder we'll Man is very good. The Chowder Man. 
I actually have a, um, and this, this is probably a clue to like how this sheer amount of content got created was, um, I actually have a song in there oh. like that I had, I had written. I had, um, sent Jay at some point, like, here's a directory full of mods that I wrote in the nineties and early two thousands and just take as many as you want. And he ended up just taking one, which was a little, I don't know. I was a little sad about that, but, uh, he actually like, he wrote lyrics for it. And I think he paid somebody on Fiverr to sing them. <laughs> did, um, did he actually write a mod player? Are the, are no, the- it was rendered out into, uh, into Og Vorbis or whatever it is. When you gave it to him. Uh, no, I, I gave him, I, I gave him an MP3, but then I also later sent him the mod. I don't, it was, I, I don't know if he, uh, I guess you can probably just, so there's he, probably something that will play a mod now. Mod, for those of you who think that the word mod means what it means now, right. was a music file format that was kind of like MIDI. It, but it had, uh, samples built in. So, right. so the, the author could specify like much more precisely what each instrument sounds like. And it w- and it would sound the same on every computer that you played right. it on, yeah. as opposed to it using whatever MIDI bank your yeah. computer had by so, default. So, FMOD, the very common, very commonly used uh, game developer audio library, actually still like it started out as a mod player and still plays mods. Huh. So if you're like if you're trying to make a really small Unity game, you can uh, you can you can play mods instead of MP3s. One of the things that we did uh, when Ryan. Uh, was here at the office during GDC was uh, talk about all of the advantages of FMOD and uh, decide that we're using that for the next iteration of this engine. I am it... really curious to hear how that goes. I've I've heard a bunch of things about FMOD, but like I still haven't been convinced that it's going to help be helpful for the kind of games that I like to make. Hmm. Um, so the thing the thing that it will do, I. I think it's arguable whether in this specific instance, sorry for this diversion, but I think that you will be interested in it. Sure, sure. Um, so like often what will happen is Ryan will make nine different sounds for a thing and then I will have to write some script that picks mm-hmm. one at random to play when a certain thing happens. And it's like slightly different handling is required if he makes eight versions of another sound because I didn't, I didn't anticipate the wild variability in the number of versions of things that he was going to make. And so with FMOD, it, I just call a sound and then that is a hook into FMOD that then I don't care or even know how many variants there are. And he can just set them up to play one of those at random okay. and only play this one every 30th time because this is the weird one or whatever. And there's just so much like actual sound design work that doesn't have to get filtered through a guy who doesn't know anything about sound design but has to write the code to play the sounds right um yeah and i guess the, the one major difference between our respective workflows is that i am doing pretty much everything so like writing the code to play sounds at random is not a big deal yeah. or to do different behaviors yeah, yeah. Oh, look that's interesting okay um so one getting back to hypnospace yeah. outlaw they i don't think they have a mod player in there but they wrote their own they, as far as I could tell, what they did was they basically reinvented general MIDI because they have a, and this is like part of the, the, the default installation. They have a, in the directory, they have a sequencer, like a music sequencer that they wrote and a web page editor that they wrote. Then you can, you can like create new content for the game in those editors. They sent um, those out to backers, uh, during the campaign. Yeah. And I think that like if you submitted something that was, 
good than yeah would put it in the game. right and th- that, that that's what i was getting at before by like i think a lot of the impressive amount of content in the game just came from fans but the sequencer itself is super interesting to me because like they as far as i could tell like they just it, it's all you know sample playback based um but it's uh like in the way that general midi provides like okay here's a uh, like four different pianos and four different basses and then like here's some here's like a drum channel a, dr- a drum patch um they just came up with a list of like, here are a bunch of sounds you might want to use in music. And then all the music, not all the music in the game, like a lot of it's MP3, but like the stuff that sounds more like, like a MIDI file playing versus an MP3 playing. It's all based on that set of sounds. Right. And that's super interesting to me. Did you mess with that? The sequencer? No, no, I haven't. I've been meaning to, but I have not. It's neat. It's, it felt a little, Every time I decide that I want to make something like I want to make like a chiptunes thing, I start messing with Famitracker and I think, God damn it. Why doesn't someone write a more user-friendly version of this? And it seems like there's, it's like the, why isn't there an easy mode in Dark Souls thing? It's like people don't want it to be easy to write <laughs> well, NES hardware music. And so just no one will, no one will just write like a visual sequence or two. Like you still are having to like type hex values into a timeline. Yeah. So as, as someone who is, who grew up using trackers, they are extremely like, I I have a very hard time imagining like taking what a tracker does and putting it into a visual sequencer, like, and having the same amount of power that you have. Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, like Fruity Loops is right, Fruity better Loops than... Probably comes the closest in terms of, like, this, the amount of flexibility that it provides. The, uh, like, but any other, like, mid... Any other um, DAW that I've looked at, like a, a piano roll sequencer or whatever... um it's based they seem to be based on like the midi spec you know what midi can do which is a um in terms of like performance characteristics of like i want exactly this much vibrato at this point in time and then i want it to pitch down at this speed and and eventually arrive at this note that's something that's real trivial to do in a tracker and it's real trivial to do like with real time performance like if you're playing a saxophone like that's kind of what that is what like that's what distinguishes what feels like a performance from what feels like a computer playing notes. Right. Um, and you can't like I've never I, and Fruity Loops is the thing that I've seen that comes the closest to being able to do that. Um, if you don't count trackers and, and like any other MIDI sequencer is just here's a bunch of notes playing. Um, but I would love to see um, this is this is like one of a thousand projects that if I had infinite time, I might spend time on is like a, a, a piano roll sequencer that actually feels like, you know, you can make music that sounds like it's performed music in it. Hmm. Well, do we have anything else to say about Hypnospace Outlaw? It sure, sure sparks some tangents. Yeah. It's real good. It's, it's real good. Yeah. It's I, yeah. I like it a lot. Hell. Yeah, it's great. It's I like I, uh, I like being a detective in things. I like having to yeah. figure out what's happening rather than a detective system where a clue is a key that you pick up that unlocks a lock. You know? Yeah, actually like 
the player actually having to figure yeah. things out as yeah. opposed to the player character. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, and this game, this game it seems to it, it your your means of expression is very granular. Like, not every game affords you the ability to like figure something out and then try something weird based on what you figured out because not every game has as many things like as many places where you can just type arbitrary text mm. into a search field and have it potentially right. unlock something and yeah. and stuff like that like the the kind of secrets that I think it's like tricky to put into more traditional games was like very easy to put into a you know a web <laughs> man and what a web. Got Granny Cream's hot butter ice cream stuck in my head again now from having said it once. <laughs> <laughs> Granny Cream's hot butter ice cream. We take the hot butter, mix it with the ice cream, freeze it up, cool, you can see it on your screen. Put it in your microwave, make it real hot like a soup or a dip. We call it heat and sip. Very tasty and healthy too. Granny Cream's hot butter ice cream. <laughs> there must be... A soundtrack album, right? Oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, it's it's like the all the MP3s in the program directory that you can just load up. You can get you can accidentally play the Super Tasters episodes that are in there too. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. So, what's our next assignment? Did we decide? Baba I, I is you. think we. Ah, Baba is you. Baba is you. Yay. Yes, uh, a puzzle game where you are Baba. You're just often Baba. Sometimes. Sometimes you're Baba. <laughs> Although you is to begin Baba with, you're work. often Baba. Yeah. Baba yeah. Uh, anyway, it's very good. It's a very very clever uh, Sokoban uh, variant. I would say uh, it's a Doom clone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, uh, it's been a while. Uh, my wife. It's been, <laughs> I've had a great time recording episode. Here, I'll just say 344, 345, 346, 347, 348, 349 of video games hot dog with you. And I hope we do episode 345, 346, 347, 348, 349, 350, 351. Next week. I have no idea if I'm even close. Are we in the 400s? Who knows? I think this is episode 365. Say all the digits and you can construct it later. Shit. Well, I guess I just won't edit that out at all. Sounds good. And I, yeah, and listeners, I hope you'll stick around forgive us after all this cockaboo boo <laughs> good night good night everybody, everybody.